Blog Talk Radio. Paleo Hebrew, 
I'm your brother, your friend, your host, as always, Tyler Pa. And I want to send shouts out, man, to my partner in righteousness, my brother, my friend, Mighty Mashaba, man. I'm sending special shouts out to you out because I know it is very frustrating uh, to deal with this blog talk situation, man, and you've been holding it down. You've been consistent, Art. So big shouts out to you, Art. Want to send shouts out to our affiliated schools, our affiliated brethren, the brothers here in San Antonio, the brothers down in H Town, the brothers up in Rochester, the brothers up in uh, VA, uh, the brothers in Canada, California, Atlanta. And uh, shout out to the brother Kyle Cobb down in Guatemala, oh, as well as shout out to the brothers out in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Oh, man, a lot going on here lately, a lot to unpack. I'm going to try not to uh, go over with the news, man, because I definitely want to get back into this class uh, entitled Feast of Lights, man, a lot of, lot of uh, historic important information that we're going to get into this morning, uh, bridging the Apocrypha over to the what we call the New Testament, man. So uh, without further ado, y'all, if it's the first time tuning in, we are Hebrew Israelites, Hebrew being our language, Israelite being our nationality, uh, which forms a nation the nation of the 12 tribes, man, scattered well worldwide. Shout out to y'all, to our family. But that's who we are. That's what we represent. That's what we deal with. We teach the Bible from a historical perspective because the Bible is, first and foremost, a history book. It's not a book of religion. All right? I want us to understand this. Uh, you tune in to Tops Pod Tuesdays. I usually do about an hour of news can events before I get into the topic. As a matter of fact, hold on for Jimmy. Give me a second, y'all. Yep, it's, <laughs> I know that's right. I, it's working. It's working. Yeah, I wasn't sure it was going to work. I didn't know, so I didn't um, send uh, the reminders out on my end. Mashaba, you did on your end. The water eye, but you you always you, you're great at that, Mashaba. You send it out on my end and I know Lobby and Council Diet, they be sending it out on their end also. Which is much appreciated. The water y'all for that. Uh, so let's go ahead and get into it, y'all. Uh, this is Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. <clears throat> After this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. <clears throat> and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So that's the prayer we need to send up on the daily off so we can get the hell on. Get Psalms chapter 118, 
<clears throat> Man, the slim is, is back. Getting on my damn nerves. Psalm chapter one eighteen verse twenty four. This is the day which the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. So good or bad, happy or sad, the most high brought you to it, he'll bring you through it, and you'll come out better on the other side because of it. Please believe me. Yes, y'all, I've done the research. All right, y'all. So like I said, there's a lot of stuff I want to unpack. Uh, y'all probably hearing me uh, coughing and hacking and trying to clear my throat. Uh, I got some phlegm going on. Did a little bit of a research uh, this past weekend uh, in lieu of my wife, Arkaya, being sick, feeling under the weather. Um, and some of the same symptoms that she's experiencing, I'm, I'm experiencing or have experienced. I've been dealing uh, on and off, y'all, with uh, some type of stomach issues, man, to where sometimes I have, like, extreme gas. Other times I have damn diarrhea just sporadically, man. It's not every day. It's not all day. It's just, you know, different times and points. What she expressed to me, she was having the same thing, uh, shortness of breath, uh, brain fog, uh, fatigue. And, you know, she was saying, man, I feel like, you know, I got COVID. And I've I've shared those same uh, sentiments with her, those same thoughts. I just got to looking it up, reaching it up, uh, researching it. And uh, the symptoms that we're having is uh, long COVID. Long COVID. I don't know if y'all have heard of that, but uh, there is a such thing that does exist. But long COVID, man, and uh, also uh, other other symptoms of it was um, having trouble sleeping and depression. I know uh, I am having trouble sleeping at times. Last night, I slept wonderfully, though. I'm shy. Man. I didn't want to get up this morning. I really didn't. It was a fight. Uh, and I'm guessing that the most high, he blessed the blog talk broadcast this morning because of my fight. Because <laughs> the scripture said the, man, the most high is a man of war. So the most high loves to see the fight in us. So I'm, I'm assuming he blessed it because I had to fight to get up, man. It, it, was, it was a struggle. Especially knowing that uh, I, the broadcast may or may not was going to go through. Because it's been a couple mornings I done got up uh, expecting to do the broadcast only to find out that it ain't working. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Rock High by Shemyal, all praise to the most high for that. But, uh, yeah, on occasions, though, I do have trouble sleeping. Uh, the depression thing I've not had, uh, I'm too busy <laughs> to be depressed. Uh, most depression is caused by a lack of um, activities, y'all. By a lack of activities, by a lack of um, goals. And I always tell people this, that that battle depression, man, you need to get a to-do list. You need to get a a list of goals, man, so you can look forward to, to achieving something. Because depression is caused by an idle mind. The scriptures teaches us that uh, idleness teaches much wickedness. And that's basically what depression is. I don't have nothing else going on. I just have time to think. I'm left with my own thoughts. And some of the wildest things come to my mind, even thoughts of 
suicide, which is wickedness. I'm no psychologist. I just go by what the scriptures say. Man, the scriptures actually do work. Period. Facts. They work if you implement them. But um, long story short, y'all, if you're experiencing some of these symptoms and you just can't figure out what the hell is going on, you may, in fact, have long COVID, man. Like, I I suspect that me and Archite have, sadly to say. But (laughs) this is the day which the Lord had made. (laughs) We will rejoice and be glad in it. Most high brothers to it brings to it, right? Good or bad, happy, sad. All right, y'all. So I know y'all been hearing about Puffy. Take that, take that. <laughs> it's been all over the airways, man, all over the news, all the social media. That's all everybody wants to talk about. And uh, I've been keeping up with it, man, because it's like, man, okay. About to get real, man. They about to reveal some real stuff. Uh, y'all know about the little situation he had with Cassie. He, he settled with her. The other people have come out the woodworks, and I believe this last uh, uh, alleged victim is uh, seeking a criminal trial, man. So it's about to get real interesting. Fifty Cent has been on his neck. In fact, he's talking about he about to put the put together a documentary. Talking about did he do it? <laughs> did he do it? <laughs> nice play on words, man. I like it. <laughs> Very interesting to see it. Hell, they did one about Kelly, you know? Kel. Anyway, that's what's going on in Nigger, man. I ain't gonna even uh touch that. <laughs> Y'all can do that. Y'all own research on that one. I want to get to this right here, though, man. Man. I want to say the water to y'all, too, man. Mashaba was a careless brother to water. I'm glad you started doing that. Because um, as Israelites, man, I don't think that we put a lot of power in prayer as much as the uh, religious folk do. But we need to, man. You need to because you will read all throughout the scriptures where our forefathers prayed and the situation got better for them. And a lot of times it wasn't just prayers, it's fasting also, you know, abstaining from things, not just food. Um, but back to what I was saying, thanks. The water uh, for y'all prayers uh, for Mama Deuce, man, for my mama. Uh, she's doing okay. She still has some, some stuff going on. She's doing okay. But I had a real interesting um, exchange with her uh, yesterday, man, over New Year's, you know. And. I dealt with this uh, last blog talk where I was bringing out Janice, man, which is where you get the month January from. It's named after the um, Roman god Janice. And uh, Janice, the way you celebrate is um, the Janice is the god of new beginnings, new beginnings and endings, man. And that's what New Year's is all about. That's what Jan- the month of January the supposed New Year's all about. But anyway, long story short, 
they my family just is insists keep insisting on putting me in these damn holiday threads. So I had to post that information in the thread. That's all I posted, you know. And uh, actually, I posted uh, Exodus twenty and three. The Most High said, "We shall have no other gods than Him." Um, and you know, I just left it there. But then my mother, bless her heart, who is heavy into religion, she came came for me, and basically called me a false prophet. It's funny, man But anyway um, The reason I'm bringing up this conversation, y'all Is because A lot of our people, man And I'm talking about brown and black people They know religion And they know it heavy But they don't really know the Bible, man They really don't And it's very disheartening. It's very uh, discouraging. But uh, we, we have to remember that Christ said his sheep hear his voice. Also, Isaiah tells us that um, the Most High has poured out on his people the spirit of deep sleep. So some of our people are not going to see it. And we can't control that. We can't control it for as much as we want to control it, for as much as we want our people to get it and see it. We have to realize that they just ain't, man. You know, Christ spoke to the multitude in parables, to the Israelites in parables for a reason. And some got it and some didn't, and that's just the way it is, man. Going back to the parable of the sword, uh, Matthew chapter 13, some seeds fell by the wayside, man. All people just ain't going to get it. But just because all people don't get it, that doesn't mean that you start second-guessing your beliefs and your convictions and what you know to be factual truth, man. We can't do that just because the rest of the world looks at us and points at us a certain type of way. We're outcasts, we're this, we're that. We're not going along with the norms of society. And it makes you feel some kind of way. Yes, it makes you feel some kind of way. But just because it makes you feel some kind of way does not mean that the Bible ain't the Bible no more and that you should give, you should give in to that. The scriptures even tell us, and I'm going to get it in a second, that this last kingdom is going to wear the saints out, man. So don't think that this is something strange. This was this was prophesied to happen, us to be worn out by this captivity that we're in by the world. Which brings me to this. And let's go to the uh, Encyclopedia, Encyclopedia Britannica, y'all, online. And... The topic is Roman Republican calendar, all right? Roman Republican calendar. I want you all to listen up and listen closely to this. Roman Republican calendar, dating system that evolved in the Roman period, I'm sorry, in, the, in, the, in Rome prior to the Christian era. So prior to the Christian era, prior to Christ ever coming on the scene, I want us to understand that Christ hadn't even popped up. And we're talking about the calendar, okay, the Roman calendar. Okay, now let me read on. It says, according to legend, Romulus, the founder of Rome, instituted the calendar in about 738 B.C. This dating system, however, was probably a product of evolution from the Greek lunar calendar, all right, which is also known as the Gregorian calendar, which we currently use, which the world currently uses. 
I want us to understand this, because Rome is America. America is Rome. The Greco-Roman Empire is the American Anglo-Saxon Empire. It's the one and the same. It says, which in turn was derived from the Babylonians. So the Greeks got this calendar from the Babylonians. Of course they did, because the Babylonians were pagans also. And the Greeks, all they did was they took on the pagan ideologies of all the nations that they conquered. Babylonia being, or Babylon, the Babylonians being one of them. It says the original Roman calendar appears to have consisted only, listen to this, only of 10 months. I hope y'all hearing this. The original, read it again. The original Roman calendar appears to have consisted only of 10 months. And of a year of 304 days, the remaining 61 one-fourth days were apparently ignored, resulting in a gap during the winter season. The months bore the names, now listen to this, these were the original names of the 10 months that they had, Martius, which will be March. Aprilis, April, May is May, June is June, uh, Quintilius, this will be August, I'm sorry, not August, uh, we'll come back to June, yeah, July, yeah, and then it says uh, Sextilius, this will be August, then September, October, November and December. The last six names correspond to the Latin words for the numbers five through ten. For y'all hearing this, let me read it again. The last six names correspond to the Latin words for the numbers five through ten. So he said the last six. So that goes back to sextilis which is what we know is the month of August. And we say that the month of August is the uh, eighth month, but it's not the eighth month. (laughs) It's the sixth month. Because remember, he said the last six names correspond to the Latin words for the numbers five through ten. So sextilis would actually be the sixth month, September is the seventh month. October is the eighth month. November is the ninth month. And December would be the tenth month. I hope y'all are hearing this. We now know December as the twelfth month. I hope y'all are hearing this, man, and understanding. I'm going to read on. The Roman ruler, Numa Pompilius, credited with adding January at the beginning and February at the end of the calendar to create the 12-month year. So the month 
January and February were not even in the original Gregorian calendar. They were added. I hope y'all seeing this. In 452 B.C., February was moved between January and March. So they were not only added, they were moved around also. By the first century B.C., the Roman calendar had become hopelessly confused. The year, based on cycles and phases of the moon, totaled 355 days, about 10 and one-fourth days shorter than the solar year. The occasional intercalations of an extra month of 27 or 28 days called Meridanus kept the calendar in step with the seasons. The confusion was compounded by political maneuvers. The Pontifex Maximus and the Collegiate of Pontiffs had the authority to alter the calendar, and they sometimes did so to reduce or extend the term of a practical magistrate or other public official. So what they saying was, based off of who was running for office, whether they wanted them out or they wanted somebody else in or they wanted them to stay, they would extend <laughs> the month. Oh, I'm sorry, extend their term by extending the month or the day. Sound familiar? It says, finally, in 46 B.C., Julius Caesar initiated a thought, I'm sorry, a thorough reform that resulted in the establishment of a new dating system, the Julian calendar of the Julian Gregorian calendar, which we currently use. I hope y'all are seeing this, man. We we don't make stuff up. They people be acting like we just be pulling stuff out the crack of our buttholes. We actually research stuff. We don't just go around saying stuff. And I'm not I'm I'm very passionate on this because we do this for a living as well as work jobs, take care of families, raise family, nurture kids, nurture wife. We do this. We ain't no damn uh, novelists. You got people that go to school, supposedly go to school for this. They still don't know what the hell they be talking about. But they want to act like us Israelites, we just make stuff up. We can't validate nothing. You know, and that gets me because they be wanting us to prove all the stuff that we say, but they don't have to prove nothing. Y'all ain't prove nothing, but we y'all want us to prove everything. That's why when I get in debates with these clowns, I don't prove nothing. I'm not doing no extra work. I'm going to make them do all the work. Y'all prove what y'all believe in. We know what we believe. Let's get Daniel chapter 7, man. You know, but Christ told us this, man. He said a prophet is not without honor except in his own country. And that's true, man. Those are the facts. That's why when you try to bring this truth to your friends or your relatives, they automatically dismiss you as what? 
Are you crazy? You're in a cult. Oh, you're this. You're that. You're a blasphemer. You're a false prophet. You don't know what you're talking about. We know what the hell we're talking about, and we substantiate everything through sources. The main source being the Bible. So let's go to the Bible. Let's go to Daniel chapter 7, and let's read what, what we just read off the cycle inside completely Britannica about them changing stuff up. So Daniel chapter 7, verse 25, and he shall speak great words against the Most High. That he is talking about the fourth kingdom. We're going to get to that in a second. But it says, he shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints. I quoted this scripture earlier, man. This is true. We've been worn, worn, worn the hell out, man, just by being here in this place. Every day this place is just carrying little pieces away from us, from our morals, from our deductive reasoning, from our spiritual righteousness that we're supposed to have. Every day this this place is just pricking and pricking and tearing and tearing and wearing us the hell out. I know I for one am wore the hell out trying to battle all these spirits that I've been given as well as keep my spirit in check. This is work, man. This is a job. It's exhausting. Read this again. And he shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the most high and think this is the part I want to get to y'all listen up to change times and laws what do you call this calendar I just read about ain't that them changing laws and times where they had to add two more months to the calendar then they had to come back and rearrange it to where it made sense read it again and and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand until a time and time and the dividing of time. Now, this is going to 350 years, that being from 1619 to 1969, us being given into the hand of this last kingdom and being influenced with their doctrines their belief system, their holidays. This is what this is talking about, man. A lot of people don't believe this, but like the scripture says, what if some did not believe? It says, let God be true and every man a liar. The Bible also says prove all things, man. If you can't prove it, ain't no truth in it. So let's jump up to James chapter 7 and verse 3. Let's get some more understanding out of this chapter. I ain't going to break this whole chapter down, just particularly this one verse. But we have to get some other information on it to understand it. So Daniel chapter 7, and let me jump up to verse 3, y'all. And four great beasts came up from the sea. All right, these four great beasts. I'm sorry, let me read it off. And four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse one from another. So these four great beasts, they were different from one another. Now, we're going to jump over 
to verse 17 to find out what these beasts represent, what these beasts are. These great beasts, which are four, are four kings, which shall arise out of the earth. So it ain't talking about damn mystical beasts. It's talking about real people, kings. What do you have? What does a king rule over? Kingdoms. So these four great beasts is talking about four kingdoms that were going to arise out of the earth. The first kingdom that arose out of the earth, the first major player, major power, was the Babylonians that came into power around 586 B.C. The second was the Persian Me Empire, which came into power around the five, around 538 B.C., that also known as the Archimedean Empire or the Media Empire. Y'all can look this up. Any encyclopedia, go online, check it. This is factual. The third kingdom would be the Greeks that came into power around 333 under Alexander. We're going to delve a little bit more into that in the class, the second half of the class, of the broadcast. So that would be the Greeks. This fourth kingdom is the Romans. The Roman Empire, which came into power around 27 B.C. I believe it's when they started. Full power, I believe, 21 B.C. I might have the dates mixed up. But definitely the kingdom spit. But the fourth kingdom is talking about the Roman Empire. What did we just read from this article? The title of it was the Roman Republican Calendar, which we still use to this day. To refresh our memory, let's go back to the article. The months bore the names Martius, Aprilus, Maius, Junius, Quintilius, Sextilius, September, October, November, and December. The last six names correspond to the Latin words for the numbers 5 through 10. The Roman ruler, Numia Pompilius, is credited with adding January at the beginning and February at the end of the calendar to create the 12-month year. In 452 B.C., February was moved between January and March. So who did this? This fourth beast or this fourth kingdom, which is, in fact, the Roman Empire, which is, in fact, the American Anglo-Saxon Empire. Let's get Revelation chapter 13. And matter of fact, before we jump, let's read this again in Daniel. Daniel 7, 25. And he shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change times and laws from up the fourth beast, which is the Roman Empire, which is the American Empire. Now let's go to Revelation. Chapter 13. And what verse I want to get? 16. Chapter, uh, Revelation chapter 13, verse 16. Uh, where are we at? Where are we at? Yeah, that's where I want to start. And we're going to jump. And he... Uh, Cause it all both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark. So this he is talking about, in fact, a man. 
And it's talking about the last kingdom that Daniel was talking about in Daniel chapter 7, this fourth kingdom. We're going to get to that in a second. I'm going to read it again. And he caused it all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. Now, this is, in fact, we're going to get to it, talking about the, the mark of the beast. Now, remember, the beast is what? It's a kingdom. All right? Going back to Daniel, matter of fact, let me get that. Daniel chapter 7, verse 17. These great beasts, which are four or four kings, which shall arise out of the earth. So we're finding out that the beast is a kingdom, all right, or a king. Now let's go back to Revelation chapter 13, verse 16. And he calls it all both small and great. You see, it says he. Matter of fact, let me jump up to verse 15. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Now, once again, this beast represents a kingdom or a king. Same thing, man. You got a kingdom, you got a king that's over the king. Verse 16. And he, meaning this beast, causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bound to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. All right, so what's in your right hand? We're going to deal with the right hand first before we get to the forehead. Your right hand is where your power is, where your strength is. It's what you put faith in. Now watch this, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 5. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 5, and it reads, Thus said the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusted in man, and make it flesh his arm, and whose heart departed from the Lord. So it tells us here that if you put your trust in your abilities, that's what your hand represents, the work of your hand, your abilities, your know-how, then it's going, you're going to be cursed. Which brings us back to Revelation chapter 13, verse 16. And he caused it all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand. The mark is what? Uh, you can do anything you dream of. Just put your hands to it. Manifest it, and you can do it. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Ain't these the sayings that they be saying? Make it with your hands. Your power's in hands. Believe in you, the power of you. This is what they promote. This is what the fourth kingdom has been promoting. This is what the beast has been promoting, the power of you. This is what it talks about, the hand, the mark in the hand. And all people that believe this, that you control your destiny, destiny. you're in control of you. You know, when you say these things, you take the most high out of the equation. You're, you've become a god. It reminds me of uh, my favorite show, man. One of my favorite shows, House of Cards, which come on Netflix, still on there. And uh, Kevin Spacey's character, Frank, he went to a church, and he was on his knees about to pray, and then he looked up and he said, oh, I don't believe in you. And then he stood up, 
He said, when I pray, I pray to me. <laughs> so he said, I pray to me. This is what it's talking about in Revelation. Verse 17. And that no man might buy or sell. I'm sorry. We dealt with the hand. Let's go back to verse 16. Or in their foreheads. What's in your forehead? Your brain. Your brain. Your thought process. What is this mark? It's the ideology, the belief system of this fourth beast, this fourth kingdom, which is the Greco-Roman Anglo-Saxon American Empire. Their belief system is what? Jesus is the reason for the season, right? December 25th, we just came out of it, also known as Christmas or Christ Mass, and Christ has nothing to do with it. January, uh, I'm sorry, December 31st, everybody was wilding out, talking about it was New Year's, New Year's Eve, shooting damn guns and popping fireworks and getting pissy drunk and and, uh, and indulging all type of, types of debauchery. Hell, the whole holiday season. Y'all know the job Christmas party? <laughs> it extends all the way to New Year's Eve, everybody getting buck wild. Eating as much as they can eat, overeating, overindulging in everything. This is the ideology of the fourth beast. This is the mark of the beast when it talks about the forehead, his thought process, his way of thinking, including religion. Because these be the main nuts running around talking about Jesus is for the season. Jesus is the reason for the season. Damn activity scene in front of their crib. Promoting this nonsense it has nothing to do with the Bible. It's not factual. Go and check historical sources. They'll tell you that it was impossible for Christ to be born in the wintertime. I'm going to cite the source of two Babylons by uh, Arthur Hislop, I believe the name is. I might have his first name wrong. But I know his last name is Hislop. The two Babylons in which he says, because it tells us in the Bible that the shepherds were uh, out with their flocks and seen the star at night. Well, he tells us in that book that they didn't have their cattle out that time of the year because it was too cold. So how the hell was Christ born during that time of year? But the point is, this is the mark of the beast. This is the forehead mark. Verse 17, and that no man, I'm sorry, let me back up a little bit. Let me go back to verse 15. It says, and he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Now, we're going to get to this definitely when we uh, get into uh, Antiochus' epiphanies. So it's talking about a physical death, but... In this fourth kingdom, it's also talking about character assassination. That's what they call it. What's character assassination? People discrediting you, saying that you're crazy. Does this sound familiar? <laughs> Ain't that what our family members and our friends say about us? We're crazy or we're in a cult. You know what that's called? Character assassination. Because we don't believe in what? The beast his ideology, 
this fourth kingdom's ideology and belief system. We don't believe in it. So what do people do? They kill us. They character assassinate us. They discredit us so won't nobody listen to us. Everybody will, dis- will dismiss us as being crazy. And you know, when they call you crazy, they don't mess with you. People just automatically dismiss you. In fact, I heard, I watched a podcast. They was talking about Kanye West. It was um, Cameron on All the Smoke. And they asked him about Kanye. And Cameron said, man, he said, I've never seen a crazy Kanye West. Every time I've seen him, he's been perfectly sane. He said, you know what I believe? He said, I believe Kanye acts that way, so y'all leave him alone. <laughs> That's what he said. Which proves my point. They leave crazy people alone. That's why they dismiss us as being crazy. All them Israelites, they're crazy. So everybody would do what? Not listen to what we're saying. Leave us alone. Dismiss us. Character assassination, y'all, once again. All right, jumping back up, verse 17. And that no man might buy or sell, save he had saved he, he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So it's going to come to that eventually. If you don't believe this place is ideology, you ain't going to be able to sell nothing. And you ain't going to be able to buy nothing like food. Because why? You're not going along with the program. You're a separatist. You're anti, anti-social. You're an outcast. It's eventually coming to this, y'all. Now, listen to this, verse 18. Here is wisdom. Let him that understanding count the number of the beasts, for is the number of a man. I hope y'all see this. This beast is not a beast at all. It's a man. For it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred three score and six. This is where the six 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 come from. We know that's synonymous with who? Satan, Satan, the devil. So it's letting us know that this last kingdom, this fourth kingdom, this beast, which is talking about, in fact, in Revelations the thirteenth chapter, is the same beast that is talking about in Daniel the seventh chapter. Is going to be wicked as hell. And you look at this place, and ain't it wicked? It tells us in another place in the book of Revelation that it's become, it's become the home of every foul bird. And I went over this, what, last week? A foul bird like a bat, a disgusting bat that just drop, droppings over every, everything and everybody, pigeons that do the same thing. Think of any foul, disgusting bird, and that will give you the comparison of that bird to the fourth kingdom, which is America, y'all, which is also known as Great Babylon, which is the fourth beast talked about in Daniel, the seventh chapter. Hope everybody's getting this and understanding this. Now, just to further iterate this, let's get Second Ezra chapter twelve. How much time I got? All right, like ten minutes. Second Ezra chapter twelve. In the apocryphal, y'all. We're gonna start at verse eleven. Second Ezra 
It says, the eagle, whom thou sawest, come up from the sea. Now, this is the angel. Uh, which angel is this? Uriel, I believe it was. The uh, angel of knowledge. This was him talking to uh, Ezra and giving him a vision. Now he's coming back and giving him the uh, explanation, explaining the vision to him. Verse 11, he said, The eagle whom thou sawest come up from the sea is the kingdom which, uh, I'm sorry, which was seen in the vision of thy brother Daniel. So it's talking about the same kingdom that Daniel saw in his vision in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 2. But it gives this uh Kingdom and identity It says an eagle Because remember Daniel chapter 7 It explained all the other characteristics It explained um, the, the, uh, the Babylonians Which was the griffin uh, Lion with eagle's wings Then it went to explain The um, Persian meat empire Which was the bear With the ribs on three sides Then it explained the leopard Which was the Greeks Alexander coming into power then it didn't explain the fourth kingdom. It didn't. But here it's being explained that fourth kingdom was going to be the eagle. And remember, when the Romans came into power, what was their emblem? It was the eagle. I can't remember the name of that damn movie. Something about the eagle. I think it was called the eagle. It was a movie called the eagle, and it's talking about the Roman Empire. When you see uh, the Roman Empire being portrayed, go back and watch the movie Gladiator. And you'll see on their flag they have what? The eagle. All right? Told y'all that America is the latter end of the uh, Greco-Roman Empire, right? What's America's emblem? The eagle. What's on the back of their dollar? The eagle. What's on the the, uh, presidential seal? The eagle. That's not a coincidence, y'all. This is prophecy. I'm telling you, man, the Bible's too real. Verse 11 again. The eagle whom thou sawest come up from the sea... Is the kingdom which was seen in the vision of my brother Daniel. But it was not expounded unto him. See, it wasn't given to him. Therefore, now I declare it unto thee. He said, but I'm going to tell you who they are. Behold, the days will come that there shall rise up a kingdom upon earth, and it shall be feared above all kingdoms that were before it. Now, it's talking about the Romans, but what is America? The latter end of the Greco-Roman Empire. The Romans were, were, were fierce, and every nation feared the Romans. Remember what it said when they conquered the, the non-living world. All roads led to what? To Rome. Meaning everywhere, every place you were was a Roman province. <laughs> they owned everything. Now look at America and its colonialism. All roads lead to America. Whether it's colonialism, physical colonialism, geographical colonialism, or it's ideological, ideological, or I, let me get the word right, ideology, um, colonialism. All roads lead to America. And what's the emblem of America? The eagle. So I'm going to go back to my place. What was that? Verse 13. Behold, the days will come that there shall arise up a kingdom upon earth 
and it shall be feared above all the kingdoms that were before it. And the same, now listen to this. This is how you know it's talking about the Roman Empire then extended to the, the American Empire. Listen, verse 14. And the same shall 12 kings reign, one after another. So it says this fourth kingdom was going to have 12 kings. You know what this is talking about? It's talking about the 12 Caesars that Rome had, beginning with who? Julius Caesar. Now, they try to say that he wasn't a Caesar or he wasn't an emperor because during his time, Rome was a republic, but that's a damn lie. That's why they killed him, <laughs> because he didn't want it to be a republic anymore. He wanted everybody to praise and worship him. He wanted to be the king. That's why he was killed. Netflix did an excellent uh, series on Julius Caesar. Go back and check it out. Now, listen to this. This is how you know. Man, the Bible's too real. Watch this. Verse 15, whereof the second, so the second feather, or the second king, whereof the second shall begin to reign and shall have more time than any of the twelve. So the second king of the Roman Empire was going to reign longer than any other king, and he did. You know what his name was? Julius Octavius Caesar. (laughs) <laughs> Where you get the month of August from Yeah The month of August is named after him And he reigned I believe Fact check this for me y'all But I believe he reigned about 40 years But he was the longest reigning Caesar Come on I tell y'all the Bible's too real man Alright what verse was I in 15 Yeah that's all I want to read to verse 15 so we established that the fourth beast that's talked about in Daniel chapter 7 is the same beast that's talked about in Revelation, the 13th chapter, and is talking about, talked about in 2nd Ezra, the 12th chapter, the same beast. Now watch this right here. Let's go to 2nd Maccabees chapter 6 and verse 9. Now this is talking about the Greek, but remember, the Romans and the Greeks are one and the same. Even their mythology is the same. These got different names. So Second Maccabees chapter six verse nine, and it reads, "And there he continued many days, for his grief." Wait a minute, am I right? I'm in the wrong chapter. Sorry, y'all. Wrong book. Wrong book. Right chapter. <laughs> Second Maccabees chapter six. And verse 9, it says, and whoso would not, matter of fact, let me jump up a little bit. Verse 8. Uh, yeah, because I'm going to go back to the chapter in the class anyway. Verse 8. Moreover, there went out a decree to the neighboring cities of the heathen. So we're in 2 Maccabees chapter 6, verse 8. Moreover, there went out a decree to the neighbor, the neighbor cities of the heathen. Where heathen means nations, also means Gentiles. By the suggestion of Ptolemy. Ptolemy, we're going to get into in the class, um, was one of Alexander's four generals that he split his kingdom up into and gave to. So Ptolemy 
against the Jews that they should observe the same fashion as as fashion and be partakers of the sacrifices. So this was Ptolemy coming against us, force, forcibly converting us into paganism. It says, and whoso would not conform themselves to the manner of the Gentiles, also known as heathen, also known as nations, should be put to death, once again, <laughs> character assassination, this day and age. But back in this day and age, like during the time of the Greeks and the Romans, they would put you to death if you didn't worship and serve what they believed in. Then might a man have seen the present miseries. So, man, history repeats itself. History repeats itself. Like I said, this day and age, it's going to be a character assassination, but it eventually is going to lead to a physical death for us not believing in what the world believes in and holds dear to their heart, which is paganism, idolatry, y'all. Hope everybody gets this, man. So we're at, what, 1058? Good time, perfect timing, y'all. So I'm going to take a small intermission, a small break, and I'm going to come back with the class entitled Feast of Lights Part 2, man. So y'all stay tuned. I'll be right back. Take a small break. y'all i am back uh so this is the second hour uh if it's your first time tuning in y'all do about an hour of news current events or talk to my soapbox uh before i get into a class but this is the second hour and i'm about to get into the class titled feast of lights part two so the first part of the class i was going over history uh breaking down daniel uh which eventually led us to uh proving who um, Amon was Amon is mentioned or Haman is mentioned in the book of Esther chapter 3 and verse 1 uh, he's also mentioned in the rest of Esther which is in the Apocrypha chapter 16 verse 10 and he's also known as a Macedonian alright 
And we found out last week that the Macedonians are also known as the the Agites, and the Agites originated from this king named Agag, which you read about in First Samuel chapter fifteen, verse eighteen. And Agag was the king of the Amalekites. He was the king of the Amalekites. And we went over where the Amalekites originated from their origin. So let's go back there again. Just to refresh before we move on. Uh, Genesis chapter 36. And let's read. we're going to jump around. We're going to read verse 1 and we're going to jump to verse 15. So Genesis 36 and 1. Now these were the generations of Esau who was Edom. So it's talking about Esau, also known as Edom, which we know factually, factually, biblically, historically, that these are the so-called white people, current day, right? Come out of the Caucasus Mountains, also known as Caucasians. All right. So this is talking about him and his lineage. I'm sorry, his origin, I should say, and his lineage, his offspring. Verse 15, these were dukes of the sons of Esau, the sons of Elphaz, the firstborn son of Esau, Duke Teman, Duke Omar, Duke Zepho, Duke uh, Kenaz, verse 16, Duke Korah, Duke Gatam, and Duke, um, Duke Amalekite, oh, I'm sorry, Amalekite, or I'm sorry, Amalek, that's what it is, Duke Amalek. These are the dukes that come of Eliphaz in the land of Edom. These were the sons of Adah. So here, we came here to get Amalek, which these race of people known as the Amalekites, <laughs> also known as the Agites, also known as the Macedonians, come from. Hope everybody's getting that. Now, let's go to the Josephus. Go to the Josephus. We're going to go to Book 11, Chapter 6, Paragraph 12, Line 277. If you got the blue Josephus, that would be page 303. All right, here we go. So this is the Josephus, y'all. Once again, Book 11, Chapter 6, Paragraph 12, Line 277, if you have the Blue Josephus, page 303. This had been the case of Haman, the son of Amedadai, I'm sorry, I'm butchering the dude's name, Amedadai, by birth, and Amalekite. We just got that out of Genesis. So he's an Edomite, an alien from the blood of the Persians, who, when he was hospitably entertained by us and partook of that that kindness which we bear to all men who so great a decree. Now, this is the king, Xerxes, talking right here. And what Josephus basically did was he wrote uh, gave us his account of the book of Esther when this actually happened. This is what he's writing about. As to be called my father and to be all along worship and to have honor paid him by all in the second rank 
after the royal honor due to observe, I'm sorry, due to ourselves. He could not bear his good fortune nor govern the magnitude of his prosperity with sound reason. Nay, he made a conspiracy against me and my life who gave him his authority by endeavoring to take away Mordecai, my benefactor, and my savior, and by basely and treacherously treacherously requiring to have Esther, the partner of my life and of my dominion, brought to destruction. For he contrived by this means to deprive me of my faithful friends and transfer the government to others. But since I perceive that these Jews that were by this pernicious fellow devoted to destruction were not wicked men. So what he's talking about is how Haman uh, manipulated him to bring the Macedonians into power. The Macedonians, also known as the Agites, also known as the Amalekites, also known as the Edomites, also known as the Macedonians. They're one and the same, y'all. Uh, Josephus go. So the only reason I went there is to prove that Haman was an Amalekite. All right? And the Amalekites were who, once again? Sons of Esau. All right? The offsprings of Esau. Now, let's go and get the origin of Esau. Now, I'm not going to dwell on this because I have done this a thousand times over, man. Let's go to Genesis chapter 25. So I'm just doing this for uh, context. Genesis chapter 25, and we're going to read, we're going to start verse 21. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. So Rebekah is saying, man, if this is a blessing, then why am I going through what I'm going through? So she went and asked the Most High, what, what's the deal? What's going on? Verse 23. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations were in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. So he's letting her, know, letting her know, even though you're having twin children, we're going to get to that, but he's letting them know that these twins are different from each other. Actually, they're two different nations. They're not the same. Even though they're coming out of your loin, I'm sorry, coming out of your husband's loin, coming out of your womb, they're going to be different. It says, uh, two men of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other people. And the elder shall serve the younger. These are the characteristics of the children. Verse 24. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. See, I told you it was twins. I'm not making this up. Verse 25. And the first came out red all over like a hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. So it's talking about the first twin that came out, the first boy twin, and it's given a description of what he looked like. It said he was red and he was hairy. All right, so we have to remember, going back to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, it says that God created man from the dust of the ground. The dust is many different shades of brown, from a light sandy brown to a deep potting soil brown. So before this time here, 
every person that was on the face of the planet was the shade of the ground, was the shade of dirt, was the shade of brown. Until this dude right here popped up on the scene, he came out red. This is why it's mentioned that he's red. When you look around at people, at nationalities, at races, the only race on the face of the planet that's the shade of red is the so-called white man, and it is a fact. When he's happy, he's red. When he's sad, he's red. When he come out of the womb, he's he's a light shade of red, also known as pink, but it's still the derivative of red. These people are red. All right. Verse 26. And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's hill, and his name was called Jacob. See, this holds true what the prophecy said, that they were, um, I'm sorry, the children struggled in their womb. They was fighting. They came out fighting. This is why he's grabbing his brother's heel and all this other stuff is going on. They don't like each other. They're different. They're fighting. This is why they're fighting, because they're different. And his name was called Jacob. And Esau was three score years old when she bare them. And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter and a man of the field. So it not only gives a description of what the kids look like, then it goes into their characteristics, their mannerisms. Like it told us in verse 23, and two manner of people shall be separated. So what was Esau's mannerism? He was a cunning hunter. The word cunning means skillful. He's a skillful hunter. Look around the globe at nations and nationalities, and you'll see the only cunning hunter, skillful hunter, he's great at hunting, is the so-called white man. I say this because he has different methods of hunting, like the duck call situation, like putting pheromones, the deer pheromones, to make to, to attract the deer to draw them out so he can kill them. Um, the different types of uh, fishing uh, tackles that they have that they use for bait to trick fish—that's skillful. That's a skillful hunter, man. This is how he gets down. So that's one trait of him, just one. So we have to put all the pieces together. This dude is red. He's hairy. I didn't even get to the hairy part. And y'all seen the so-called white man with all that hair on his back, coming up his chest. He'll shave in the morning. But by noon, he's got like a 5 o'clock shadow. Or by 5, he's got a 5 o'clock shadow. These people. But it also goes into to the character of them, hunting hunters skillful hunters. These are the people that be taking stuff to the taxidermist, got their little trophies, got their big bass on the wall. This is what they do. These are the only people on the face of the planet that go hunting on a full stomach. They hunt for sport. They're very, very skillful at it. This is why you see them at Walmart or a grocery store, and they got on that damn hunting fatigue stuff. They got the hunting fatigue truck. The truck's painted that the fatigue all the way around. Or they got rifles in the back of their pickup because they ready to go hunting, man. This, this is them. You cannot mistake it. Anyway, it says, um, a cunning hunter, verse 27, and a man of the field. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 38, it tells us that the field is the world, meaning that these people are men, men of the world. And you, it's true. All the uh, explorers, like um, Leo Scipio Africanus, the cat they named Africa after, he was an explorer. He's a man of the world. 
he went over all the way over. He's a um, Italian explorer, I believe. He went all the way into Africa just exploring stuff. Jacques Cousteau, he was an explorer. Lewis and Clark, explorers. They're men or explorers of the world. They're everywhere. They'd be all in Alaska. They'd be all in the bush, messing with the bush people. They'd be down in uh, uh, the land down under, Australia, talking about their Australia. They're the Oskies, and they ain't. They don't belong in these places. These people colonize places, and now they take on the identity of those people, man. They're men of the field or men of the world. This is definitely talking about them. All right. So this is not a class on Esau. It's just to bring out Esau is the so-called white man, is the Macedonian, is the Amalekite, is the uh, Agites. They're the same people, one and the same. Now let's go back to the book of Esther, chapter 16. It's in the apocrypha, y'all, the rest of Esther. And it's right uh, after Judith. Uh, so we're going to go to chapter 16 of this 10. So the rest of Esther, chapter 16, verse 10, and it reads, For Amon, a Macedonian, who were the Macedonians once again? The Amalekites, the Agites, which are the Edomites. They're one and the same, which is the so-called white man. And we find out that Ammon is a Macedonian. It says, the son of Amathadah, being indeed a stranger from the Persian blood, and for a distance from our goodness. So it's letting you know he wasn't a Persian. And of a stranger, as of a stranger, received, received of us, had so far sought forth, Obtain the favor that we shew toward every nation, and we read this in the Josephus too, as that he was called our father and was continually continually honored of all men as the next person unto the king. So he was next in line. He was the second in command to the king, verse 12. But he, not being, not bearing his great dignity, went about to deprive us of our kingdom and life. So Haman was trying to overthrow the Persian Mede, the Achaemenian dynasty from the inside out. Having thy manifold and cunning deceits sought out, I mean, sought of us the destruction as well of Mordecai, who saved our life and continually uh, procured our good, as also of what is this? Blaming, blaming, blame, I'm sorry, blameless Esther for taking of our kingdom with their whole nation. So you read the story, you find out how Mordecai saved the king's life, how Esther saved the Jews, the Israelites' life. Now, verse 14 is the part I want to get to. For by these means he thought. The he is talking about Haman, finding us destitute of friends to have translated the kingdom Persian to the Macedonians. So what was Haman's job? He was trying to take out the Persian Empire so that the Macedonians, also known as the Greeks, 
to come into power. But it didn't happen that way because it wasn't their time. Now, let's go to the book of Daniel chapter 7 now. Go back to Daniel chapter 7. Bear with me, y'all. I'm definitely going to get into the Maccabees. But we got to get this history first. We understand what was going on before it all happened. Daniel chapter 7, let's read verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a, a dream and vision of his head upon his bed. Then he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel spake and said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of the heavens strove upon the great sea. Verse 3. I'm sorry. Yeah, verse 3. And four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse one from another. So in his dream, he's seen four great beasts just ride up, rise up out of the earth, and they was different from one another. Now, we got this earlier, but we're going to get it again. Uh, let's jump over to verse 17. These great beasts, which are four, are four kings, which shall arise out of the earth. So then you saw four kings rising up out of the earth, not four beasts. It's described as beasts, but these, we just read that these beasts are, in fact, kings. Now, I said they rose up out of the sea. Let's go to Revelation 17 and verse 15. Here what the sea is, y'all. I'm not going to break this whole chapter down. Because I'm trying to get to a point, so we got to get some key points out of this chapter. Revelation 17, verse 15, and it reads, And he said unto me, The waters which thou sawest, where the, where the whore sitteth, are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. So the sea that Daniel saw in his vision, Daniel chapter 7, verse 3, going back there, and four great beasts came up from the sea. We find out the sea is nations, kindreds, and peoples. It says diverse from one another. And we already found out that the beast is talking about a king, right? Talking about a kingdom. Now going back to Daniel chapter 7, and let's read verse 6. Let's get one of these beasts, the beast that's in question. We're going to continue. It says, after this, I beheld and lo, another, or another beast, or another kingdom, like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a five. So this leopard is talking about Alexander the Great. This is who is talking about this leopard. The reason he had... Uh, it describes them as a leopard because the lepers are known for their quickness. Alexander conquered the known living world, I believe, in just 12 years. Just 12 years, man. That's a short period of time to conquer the whole world. He was a young dude when he did this. So I think he was in his 20s. So this is talking about him coming into power and the Greeks coming into power around 333 B.C. Now, to correspond with Daniel chapter 7 and verse 6, we're going to go to this article titled ushistory.org. So ushistory.org, and it reads, Alexander the Great. Was Alexander the Great really great? 
a great conqueror, ten short years, over 13 years. He amassed the largest empire in the entire ancient world, an empire that covered 3,000 miles. And he did, and he did this without the benefit of modern technology and weaponry. <laughs> Y'all hear this? In his day, troop, troop movements were primarily on foot and communications were face-to-face. So this dude conquered the known living world in 13 years without modern-day technology. That's why they call him Alexander the Great. It says, not bad for a kid who became the king of Macedon at the age of 20. See, he's the king of Macedon. Let you know he was a Macedonian. And the Macedonians are who, once again, y'all, they're the Amalekites, also known as the Edomites, so-called white people, all right? So this, this is when the so-called white race came into power under Alexander around 333 B.C. Many of Alexander's accomplishments were made possible by his father, Philip of Macedon. Macedon, which existed roughly where the modern country of Macedonia lies today, was a kingdom located that lay geographically north of the Greek city-states. In 338 BCE, King Philip of Macedon invaded and conquered the Greek city-states Philip took advantage of the fact that the Greek city-states were divided by years of squabbling and infighting. Philip succeeded in doing what years of fighting between city-states had not done. He united Greece. So this is how Alexander was able to take over and conquer the known living world because his father Philip had united Greece and gave him a great army. I says, Conquering the world Philip's goal was to defeat Greece's age-old enemy To the east Persia Y'all hear this? (laughs) So the Greeks had spies Haman was a spy I hope we understand this It says for years The massive Persian empire Threatened the very existence of the Greek way of life But before he was able to pursue his second goal Philip was assassinated when his son Alexander took the throne in 336 BCE, he vowed to complete the plans of his father. In 334 BCE, Alexander invaded Persia, which lay across the Aegean Sea in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. So they have it in 334 uh, BCE. Like I said, roughly around 333. It's like a year, but it's still within the same uh, time zone. Three grueling years of warfare and three decisive battles, Alexander smashed the Persian armies at the Trias River and conquered the mighty Persian Empire, including the the legendary city of Babylon. For many Greeks, this victory marked a a moment of sweet revenge against a bitter foe. At this point, at the age 25, Alexander ruled an expansive empire. Nevertheless, his ambitions were not satisfied. While fighting the Persians, Alexander conquered Egypt and founded a city at the Mount 
of the river of the Nile River, this city which he named Alexandria, so Alexandria, Egypt is named after Alexander the Great. This is in Africa, y'all. It says, this city which he named Alexandria after himself became a cosmopolitan, diverse, bustling center for trade, the arts, and ideas. All right. So we got that. Now let's go to the Bible Atlas. So we're going to this book, y'all, the Homan's Bible Atlas, and we're going to go to page 174. Once again, y'all, I'm going through all of this history to paint the setting before we even get into the time of the Maccabees. And I'm letting y'all know now, I am going to go a little bit over. I'm probably going to go about 30 minutes over because I want to get to a, a, a point. One seventy four. Hold on, y'all. All right, here we go. So once again, this is the Homer's Bible Atlas, page one seventy four. The Hellenistic period. All right. The conquest of Alexander the Great signaled the dawn of a new era for the Near East. The center of international power shifted from east to west, first to the Greeks first to, to Greece and later to Rome. Students of world history speak of the Hellenistic period since Hellas is the Greek word for Greece. Y'all hear this? The Hellenistic era witnessed monumentous developments that prepared the way for the Christian movement and led for far-reaching changes in Judaism. Trade between East and West had prospered for centuries. Greek merchants visited the coastal regions of the, of the Eastern Mediterranean Mediterranean before 1000 BC. The military campaigns of Alexander accelerated the influx of Greek culture. He envisioned a single unifying culture based on Greek ideals Embracing all his conquered territory. So it's letting us know all the territories that Alexander the Great conquered, he Hellenized. What is Hellenization? It means to make everybody obey and do the Greek way of life. He Hellenized every place he conquered, including the Israelites, Israel, Jerusalem. Classic Greek ideas blended with local customs and concepts. The mix uh, produced a new period of history marked by a rich and diverse blend of customs. An international cosmopolitan perspective began to replace the religionism of previous historical eras. So this is so important to remember, y'all, because as we get to the Maccabees, you'll find out that a lot of Israelites consented to Hellenism. It was voluntary Hellenism, and then there was forced conversion into Hellenism. All right. 
back. Where are we at? Where are we at? Uh, let's go back to Daniel chapter 7 and verse 6 again. After this, I beheld, and lo, another like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. The beast had also four heads, and dominion was given to it. So what this is going into is going into how Alexander, after he died, he split up his kingdom into four four parts, and he divided it into his four generals, which we want to get into. So let's go back to the uh, Bible Atlas, page 175, and let's get paragraph. I think it is It says The influx and influence of Greek culture It says The Near East Changed radically under the impact Of Hellenism The Greek language of the of the Common people Of Greece Cohen Greek Coincidentally y'all The New Testament is written in it says, uh, the Greek language of the common people of Greece, Cohen Greek, in contrast with the Greek of the famous philosophers and poets, classical Greek, became the international language of politics, economics, and culture. Greek kings founded new cities such as Alexandria and Antioch. Okay, that's not the right paragraph here. I'm sorry. This is the part I want to get into right here. The challenges of Hellenism Same book It says Hellenism brought problems as well Lack of political unity Resulted in wild ranging wars Among Alexander's successors This meant Insecurity and economic hardship For the vast majority of the population Slavery Became a continual Characteristic of Greek society Greek values stood in strong Opposition to traditional religion And cultural Values People lived Under the tension of loyalty To the old and hope Of prosperity from the new Jews Were their traditional With their traditional worship Of only one God Stood under extreme threat And tension from Hellenism Still, the new international traffic and trade led to rapid expansion and development of Judaism outside of Palestine. These new international Jews, the diaspora, prospered in a vital Hellenized Judaism in cities like Alexandria. New growth and expansion. Hold up, y'all. Wait, wait, wait. Mm. No, that ain't the point I'm looking for. Let me get my notes together, y'all. I'm getting so we're talking about the uh four wings and how Alexander broke up his kingdom. Let's go to the Josephus. Page three oh eight. 
know I'm jumping around quite a bit, y'all. Bear with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, here we go. So we're in the Josephus, y'all. We're in Book 12, Chapter 1, Paragraph 1. Now, when Alexander, king of Macedonia, or king of Macedon, had put an end to the dominion of the Persians and had settled the affairs of Judea after the aforementioned manner, he ended his life. And as his government fell among many, Antigonus obtained Asia. So it's talking about Alexander's breaking up his kingdom. Antigonus obtained Asia. Sir Lucius, he got Babylon. And of the other nations which were there, Lycomachus governed the Hellespont. And Cassander possessed Macedonia as did Ptolemy, the son of Lagus, seized upon Egypt. So it's telling you, giving you Alexander's uh, generals parted his kingdom up into and which areas they possessed. It says, and while these princesses ambitiously strove one against another, every one for his own uh, principality, it came to pass that there were continual wars, and those lasting wars too, and the cities were sufferers, were sufferers, and and lost a great many of their inhabitants. In these times of distress, insomuch that all Syria, by the means of Ptolemy, the son of Lagus, underwent the reverse of that de- uh, denomination. Of Savior, which which he had, which he then had. So the why, the reason I went there was to show us how Alexander's kingdom was broke up into four pieces, which fit with Daniel chapter seven verse six. Let's read this again. After this, I beheld and lo, another like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. The beast had also four heads, and dominion was given to it. So we just read it in the Josephus how Alexander broke his kingdom up into four pieces and gave it to his generals. Now let's get Second Maccabees chapter four. Matter of fact, let's do this. Let's get first Maccabees first. First Maccabees chapter one and verse one. And it happened after that Alexander Son of Philip, the Macedonian, who had came out of the land of Chisholm, which is Italy, y'all, had smitten Darius, king of the Persian and Medes, that he reigned in his steed, the first over Greece. So this is we reading out of the Apocrypha, and all the history books are already read thus this far, substantiating what we're reading right now. Verse 2, and made many wars and won many strongholds and slew the kings of the earth and went through to the ends of the earth and took spoils of many nations insomuch that the earth was cried before him, whereupon he was exalted and his heart was lifted up. And he gathered a mighty strong host and ruled over countries and nations and kings who became tributaries unto him. To these things he fell sick and perceived that he should die. 
Wherefore he called his servants, such as were honorable, and had been brought up with him from his youth, and parted his kingdom among them while he was yet alive. We already got this. This goes hand in hand with Daniel and the other information that I've been bringing out, how Alexander parted his kingdom up into four pieces and gave each one of his generals, his friends, a piece of his kingdom before he died. Hope everybody's getting it, everybody's seeing that. Now, let's jump to Second Maccabees chapter 4. And where I want to start. Verse 7. Now we're about to get down to the nitty-gritty, y'all. All right. Second Maccabees chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 7. But after the death of Sir Lucius, now remember, Sir Lucius was who? One of Alexander's generals that he had parted his kingdom to. When Antiochus called Epiphanes, took the kingdom. Antiochus Epiphanes, who came out of the, the line of the Sir Lucius dynasty, he's coming into power. I believe it's Alex, uh, Antiochus IV called Epiphanes. The word Epiphanes means he that is like God. So this dude was very arrogant, very prideful. He thought he was a god. It says, took the kingdom. Jason, the brother of Onias, labored underhanded to be high priest. So Jason and Onias, these are Israelites. But we find out that Jason wanted to take the priesthood from his brother Onias. And actually, this is how the whole Maccabees revolt started. And we'll get to that in the class. What I want to get to is, let me keep reading, verse 8. Promising unto the king, by intercession, 303 score talents of silver and of another revenue, 80 talents. So Jason was conspiring to take the high priesthood from his brother Onias by offering Antiochus money and get him to do it for him. Now look, listen to this, verse 9. Besides this, he promised to assign 150 more if he might have license to set up a place for exercise and for the training up of the youth in the fashion of the heathen and to write them of Jerusalem by the name of Antiochus. So there's a lot to unpack in that one verse, y'all. So the first thing we're going to unpack is this dude wanted to set up a place of exercise. So what's a, a place of exercise called, y'all? It's called a gym or a gymnasium. So let's go to the Encyclopedia Britannica again. And this is the definition which they respond upon of gymnasium. Gymnasium, large room used and equipped for the performance of various sports. The history of the gymnasium dates back to ancient Greece. I hope y'all hearing this. Where the literal meaning, listen to this, that where the literal meaning of the Greek word gymnasium or gymnos was school for naked exercise. 
So what is the original meaning of the word gymnasium? School for naked exercise. And this is the spirit of the gym. This day and age, man, go to the gym. Check it out for yourselves. You'll see people in there wearing the most skimpiest of outfits. They ain't in there naked like ancient Greeks, but they might as well be damn naked. They might as well because they wear little of nothing or they got on some tight stuff that's showing everything. I'm talking camel toes, dents in the booty, dimples, roll, everything. Read this again. Gymnasium, large room used and equipped for the performance of various sports. The history of the gym, gymnasium dates back to ancient Greece, where the literal meaning of the Greek word gymnasium, or gymnos, was school for naked exercise. The gymnasiums were of great significance to the ancient Greeks, and every important city had at least one. Since every important city, now remember, under Alexander the Great, the Greeks took over the known living world, all the dark nations. And they what did they set up in every... Yeah, I know, sis. I'm back on now. They cut me off. They cut me off. I just got back on. Hold on, y'all. Let me kind of regroup, man. I hate when they do this. The water, cuz. I, I greatly appreciate your prayers and your words of encouragement. All right, y'all. I'm back on. I hope everybody can hear me loud and clear. I got kicked off. Um... I hate this because it makes me lose my damn uh, point. Let me go back and find where I was at. Um, I was still reading this article, right? Uh, let's see. Yeah, that's where I was at. It says, yes, the water says there's a gym in every major city that the Greeks um, took over, it says, the gymnasiums were of great significance to the ancient Greeks, and every important city had at least one, usually built by the state. These grew from mere gathering places where exercises were performed to impose structures and dressing rooms, baths, training quarters, and special areas for contests. Originally, gymnasiums were public institutions where male athletes over, over age 18 received training for competition in the public games of that time, as opposed to the Pala Citra, which were private schools where boys were trained in physical exercises. So we find out here that these boys were trained up in these gyms to participate in the games. What games, you might ask? Talking about the Olympic Games, which we're about to get to in a bit. It says um, 
the supervision of the gym, gymnasiums was entrusted to entrusted to Gymnasorex, who were public officials responsible for the conduct of sports and games at public festivals and who directed the schools and supervised the, com- the competitions. So basically, personal trainers. The, gy- the gymnastics were the teachers, coaches, and trainers of the athletes. The Greek gymnasiums also held lectures. Listen to this, y'all. The Greek gymnasiums also held lectures and discussions of philosophy, literature, and music, and public libraries were nearby. So this was not just a place where you came to exercise. It was a place where you came to exchange ideas, philosophies, and to learn ideas and philosophies of the Greeks, man. I hope everybody's seeing this. Still goes on this day and age. What do you think the Young Man's Christian Society is about, also known as the YMCA? All right. So where are we at? Where are we at? So that's Gymnos. Now let's go back to Second Maccabees chapter 4. And we're going to jump around this chapter a little bit. Let's go to verse 18. Now, when the game, I'm sorry, so Second Maccabees chapter 4, verse 18, y'all. Now when the game that was used every fifth year was kept at Tyrus, the king being present. So what game was kept every, what does it say in here? Fifth year. <laughs> now it's every four years. The games that it's talking about is the same games they was training these men up for, known as the Olympic Games. Now watch this, y'all. So this article, I'm online, y'all. It says, welcome to the ancient Olympic Games. From boxing contests with no weight classifications or point scoring to chariot racing where danger lurks on every corner, it is easy to see why the ancient games enthralled the Greeks for so long. Here we give you the essential lowdown, highlights, or favorite facts. Full of blood, passion, and extraordinary feats of athletic endeavor, the Olympic Games were the sporting, social, and cultural highlight of the ancient Greek calendar for almost 12 centuries. It is hard for us to exist exaggerate how important the Olympics were for the Greeks. Paul Christening, professor of ancient Greek history at uh, Dartmouth College, USA, said, the classical example is, is that when the Persians invaded Greece in the summer of 480 B.C., a lot of Greek city-states agreed that they would put together an allied army, but they had a very hard time getting one together because so many people wanted to go to the Olympics. (laughs) 
So this is how important the Olympic Games were for the Greeks, for the Grecians, for the Greeks. That they couldn't even put an army together because people wanted to attend the games. It's going all the way back to what we just read out of the Apocrypha. It says, so they actually had to delay putting the army together to defend the country against the Persians. The threat of invasion or not, the games took place every four years from 776 B.C. to at least 393 A.D. Now, you see how they try to change it up just so it doesn't correspond with the scriptures? Now, let's go back to the scriptures real quick. I'm going to come back to this article. I just want to show you all the discrepancy and how they try to cover stuff up. Second Maccabees chapter 4 and verse 17. I'm sorry, verse 18. Now, when the game that was used every fifth year was kept at Tyrus and the king being present. So we, here we read every fifth year, right? Well, this article says every four years, which they, which they do now, currently. Now, let's go back to the article. It says, uh, where was we The threat of invasion or not, the games took place every four years, from 776 B.C. to at least 393 A.D. All free Greek males were allowed to partake from farmhands to raw heirs. Although the majority of the Olympians were soldiers, women could not compete or even attend. There was, however, a loophole to this misogynist rule. Chariot owners, not riders, were declared Olympic champions, and anyone could own a chariot. Kisnuk, daughter of a Spartan king, took advantage of this, claiming victory routes in 396 B.C. and 392 B.C. At the heart, the games were a religious festival. Keep that in mind, y'all, a religious festival. And a good excuse for Greeks from all over the Mediterranean basin to gather for a riotous barbecue. (laughs) On the middle day of the festival, a vast number of cows were slaughtered in honor of Zeus king of the Greek gods. Once he had been given a small taste, the rest was for the people. Hope y'all hear this. The Olympics was a religious ceremony. It says, for the first 250 plus years, all the action took place in the sanctuary of Olympia, situated in the northern western Philippines, Philippines? Yeah, Philippines, uh, park marked by olive, leaf, olive trees from which the victor welts were cut, cut and featured an altar to Zeus. It was a usually sacred spot. Now, it says Philipp- Philippines, y'all. Now, this is a side note. I want y'all to go back and research uh, the Olympic Games and the events, and you'll find out that the uh, the supposed Filipinos, so-called Filipinos, the Hawaiians, they've been doing these games for centuries. And this is where the Greeks got it from. These are the sons of Japheth, okay, the Japhetic people. 
But the Greeks colonialized them, took over their territories, and they took over the so-called Grecian way of life. They didn't come up with that on their own. They got that from Japheth's kids. That's where they got it from. Don't believe me, y'all. Do y'all research. Research the uh, Polynesian people and their games. All right. Reading on this article. The games lasted a full five days by the 5th century B.C. and saw running, jumping, and throwing events plus boxing. That's the 60-second mark, y'all, but I'm going to continue. Um, what is this? Pink racing and chariot racing. At least 4,000 spectators would have packed the stadium each day at the height of the game's popularity. In the 2nd century A.D., with many more selling their wear, their, uh, many more, with many more selling their wares outside. So, oh, wow, they would just have a big party and they would be selling merch, merchandise, merch. <laughs> That's why I said selling their wares. But first, here are our 10 favorite facts to get you started. This is the part I want to get to. Listen to the, the favorite facts they have about the Olympic Games. All Athens competed, I'm sorry, this is actually a moment, y'all, sorry. All athletes competed naked. I hope y'all heard this. The Olympics, you was naked. All athletes competed naked. So what were these Israelites doing at the Olympic Games? They were competing naked. We was naked, y'all. I hope y'all see this. Read this again. All athletes competed naked. Wrestlers and pink rations. Pink ration is a sort of mixed martial arts which combine boxing and wrestling. Competitors fought covered in oil. So not only were these wrestlers naked, they had oil all over. This is gay as hell. It says, corporal punishment awaited those guilty of a false start on the track. There were only two rules in pancreation, no biting and no gouging. Boxers were urged to avoid attacking the on-display male genitals. There were no points, no time limits, no weight classifications in the boxing. Athletes in the combat sports had to in, indicate <clears throat> their surrender by raising their index fingers. At times, they died before they could do so. Boxers who could not be separated for climax, a system whereby one fighter was guaranteed a free hit, then vice versa, a toss of the coin decided who went first. So this was the Olympic Games, y'all. Now let's go back to Second Maccabees chapter four and rebirth eighteen again. Now, when the games that was used every fifth year was kept at Tyrus, the king being present. So talking about the Olympic Games, which was held how naked these people were, butt, booty, hole, naked. 
Hope y'all see this. Now, let's go to 2 Maccabees chapter 6. Watch this. This goes hand in hand with it. Because it said it was a religious ceremony. 2 Maccabees chapter 6. I'm going to start at verse 1. Not long after this, the king sent an old man of Athens to compel the Jews to, to depart from the laws of their fathers and not to live after the laws of God and to pollute also the temple in Jerusalem and to call it, so to pollute the temple, the temple that was in Jerusalem, and to call it the temple of Jupiter Olympus. Huh. Ain't that something, y'all? We were calling the temple the temple of Jupiter Olympus and Garzim of Jupiter, the defender of strangers, as did desire that dwell in that place. Ain't that something, y'all? We was calling our temple, Solomon's temple, the temple of Olympus Jupiter. Now watch this. I know it's it's sad, y'all. This was us. It's sickening. So I looked up this Jupiter Olympus, y'all, and this is from biblical. Encyclopedia.com. Jupiter. Listen to this mess. I'm going to be a minute on this too, y'all. Jupiter, the principal deity of the Greek and Roman mythology. Well, let me go back and read again. Jupiter, the Latin form of the Greek name Zeus. So Jupiter Olympus is Zeus the principal deity of the Greek and Roman mythology, in which he is fabled to have been the son of Saturn in Ops. He is supposed to represent the fertilizing power of the heavens and was worshipped under various epithets. And it has got a lot of sources that it names. It says this deity is allude to in several passages of the Bible, and Josephus frequently refers to his worship. The following statements are chiefly from Quito's Encyclopedia. Now, it says that Jupiter Olympus is referred to a reference in the Bible several times, right? Now, let's get this, y'all. Let's go to Acts chapter 14. We already read about this cat in the Apocrypha, right? Matter of fact, what we, let me read it one more time in the Apocrypha. Then we're going to jump to the Bible, to Acts. So 2 Maccabees chapter 6, verse, I'm going to start at verse 2. And to pollute also the temple of Jerusalem, and to call it the temple of Jupiter Olympus. Y'all see this, right? Now, that's in the Apocrypha. Now, let's go to Acts. So, that was in the Apocrypha around the era of the Greeks, all right? That's when the Greeks were empowered. Now, we're going to go to the book of Acts in the New Testament when the Romans was empowered. 
all one book, y'all. This this is further uh, information and proof how the, the apocrypha is in fact part of the Bible. But if you don't have the apocrypha, man, you're missing out on a lot of important information that will help you connect the dots between the New and the Old Testament. So Acts chapter 14, and we're going to start at verse 8. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked. So this dude was crippled, we couldn't walk. The same heard Paul speak fastly, beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed. So he heard Paul speaking, and this dude wanted to be healed. Said with a loud voice, stand up right on thy feet. And he leaped up and walked and walked. Sorry, y'all. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying, in the speech of Lyconia, the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. Now, these people were Israelites. So this is what the Israelites said, the gods <laughs> have come down unto us in the likeness of men, referring to Paul and Barnabas. Now, verse 12, and they called Barnabas, listen to this, Jupiter and Paul Mercury, because he was the chief speaker. <laughs> Come on, man. This is us, our people, man. And we, we still doing this nonsense. Hell, we, we worshiping Janice, the whole New Year's Eve thing. I already went over that, man. Verse 13, the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen, garlands unto the gate, and, and garlands unto the gates, and would have done sacrifice with the people. So they was they was going to sacrifice animals unto Jude, uh, Jude, Jupiter Olympus and this guy Mercury, which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, heard, heard, of, heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out, and saying, Sirs, why do ye these things? We also are men of like passions with you. So Paul and Barnabas had to go tell the man, we're men. We know damn gods and preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God, monotheism, not polytheism, not paganism, the belief in one God, the most high. This is what they were urging these Israelites to do, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that, that are therein, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these things, sex, uh, sex, and with these things, scarce restrained they the people that they had not done sacrifice unto them. So they stopped them from sacrificing to these deities and to them who they said was these deities. And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconia who persuaded the people 
and having stoned Paul. So after Paul and Barnabas talked them out of sacrificing them, these other niggas, these Jews, Israelites, who came from Antioch and Lyconium, Iconium, they persuaded the people to kill Paul. Having stoned Paul, threw him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. So they stoned him and just picked him up and threw him out of the city. However, as the disciples stood around about him, he rose up and came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to debrief. So Paul was not dead. He got up. He did get stoned, but the Most High didn't allow him to die. He got up, and they went, and they talked somewhere else. Verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city, the city in Derby, and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. They went back. (laughs) They went back. Why? Because our people still was practicing idolatry, man. Still practicing, practicing idolatry. So we got it out of the apocrypha about us worshiping uh, Ju- Junus, Jun- uh, Jupiter Olympus. We got it out of the Bible. Now let's go back to this article. <clears throat> it is stated in Second Maccabees 6, verses 1, two, 1 through 2, which we just read, that the king sent an old man of Athens. Some say an old man, Athenius, but Rethius, following the Latin, suggests suggest instead of, I don't know what this says, y'all, it's in Greek, to compel the Jews to depart from the laws of their fathers and not to live after the laws of God and to pollute also the temple in Jerusalem and to call it the temple of Ju- Jupiter, Olympias. And that in Grism of Jupiter, the defender of strangers, as they did desire that dwell in the place, Olympias, was a very common epithet of Zeus. So Jupiter Olympias, Olympias is also known as Zeus, uh, the supposed uh, king of the Greek pantheon. And he is sometimes simply called this is in Greek, Greece, y'all. I can't, Greek, I can't understand this. Uh, but it means Olympia. So another name for Zeus is Olympia or Jupiter. It says, Olympia in Greece was the seat of the temple and sacred grove of Zeus Olympias. And it was here that the, that the famous statue of gold and ivory, the work of Philodice, was erected. Caligula, who was Caligula? One of the Caesars that were in Rome, one of the 12 Caesars that ruled Rome. Caligula attempted to have this statue removed to Rome, and it was only preserved in its place by the assurance that it would not bear removal. Josephus, Antiquities of the Jews, uh, Book 19, Chapter 1 and verse 1. So I want to get this. I don't want to get this because we're going to jump to the Josephus and other stuff. Antiochus Epiphanes, as related by Antheus, surpassed all other kings in his worship and veneration of the gods so that it was impossible 
to count the number of the statues he erected. So Antiochus Epiphanes put up a lot of statues of Zeus. His his special favorite was Zeus. The Olympian Zeus was the national god of the Hellenistic race, as well as the supreme ruler of the heathen world, the Pantheon, right? And as such, formed the true opposite of Jehovah. So he is not the most high. That's what Jehovah they're saying, which actually pronounced Yahweh. He's the opposite of the most high. So the most high is the God of righteousness. Zeus or Jupiter is the God of wickedness, who had revealed himself as the God of Abraham. Antiochus commenced in B.C. 174 the completion of the temple of Zeus, Olympias, at Athens and associated the worship of Jupiter with that of Apollo at Daphne, erected a statue to the former god resembling that of Pilidas at Olympia. Games were celebrated at Daphne by Antiochus, of which there is a long account of Polybius Coins also were struck referencing the god and the games. On the coins of Elis, the, the wretch of wild olives, distinguishes Zeus Olympias from the Dodonine Zeus, who was an oak wretch. Antiochus, after compelling the Jews to call the temple of Jupiter, Jerusalem, the temple of Jupiter Olympus, built an idol altar upon the altar of God. So Antiochus Epiphanes built an idol in our temple. Upon this altar, swine were offered every day, and the broth of their flesh was sprinkled about the temple. It cites 1 Maccabees, Chapter 1, verse 46. So let's go there, y'all. So, guys, we're going to be doing some jumping. I might have to go to that, Josephus, too. First Maccabees 1 and 46. Man, time we're about so fast. First Maccabees 146, and it reads, and pollute the sanctuary and holy people. Yeah, he did, with the swine. And we're, gonna get, we're definitely going to get into that. It also cites Second uh, Maccabees 6 and 5. We already read. Now, this is where I want to go to. I did want to go to the Josephus. So let's get that. Josephus, book 12. Chapter 5, Paragraph 4. Book 12. Paragraph. Chapter 5. Sorry, y'all. Did I read this?
Hold on, y'all. I don't want that. I think it's book 13. Let me flip for it. That might be that one. Yeah, it is that one. I'm sorry, uh, I just lost it. Let me go back to this article. It says the idol altar, which was upon the altar of God, was considered by the Jews to be. Yeah, this is what the point I want to get to. The idol altar, alt, the idol altar, which was upon the altar of God was considered by the Jews to be the abomination of desolations. First Maccabees one fifty four. Daniel eleven and thirty one. We don't get those. So this altar that was put up, we find out that it was Zeus. That it was called, we call it the abomination of desolations. So let me get out of this and let's get the scriptures, y'all. What did I say? Maccabees, first Maccabees 154. Let's read that. Now, the 15th day of the month, Caslu, in the 145th year, they set up the abomination of desolations upon the altar and builded idols, idol altars throughout the cities of Judah on every side. So what was the abomination of desolations? It was the statue of Zeus that Antiochus of Tiffany had put up in the temple. Also, he put up all throughout the cities of Jerusalem. We're reading about it here. So let's get it in Daniel 2. So we're going to go to the book of Daniel, chapter 11. And verse 31. Daniel 11 and 31. And arm shall stand on his part, and they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength, and shall take away the daily sacrifice, and they shall place the abomination of of that uh, the abomination that make it desolate. So this is the abomination of desolations 
Daniel's talking about it here. Also, Christ mentions it in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 15. Let's go there now. Just to show, man, how the Bible's one and the same, man. All the Bible. Old Testament, New Testament, and the Apocrypha. So Matthew 24, 15. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoke of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso read it, let him understand. So them putting the statue of Zeus, Zeus up was not exclusive to during the time of the Maccabees and the Greek captivity because the Romans also had it. This is what Christ is warning them about. He says, when ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, when you shall see not what had already been seen, when you shall see this. And you go back to Matthew chapter 24, and he's discussing the end of the world, the end of times. So he's saying, like, man, when y'all see this, you know, you're going to know that y'all time is up. And when did we see this? Titus put this same damn statue up. And this is when uh, you had the uh, the Jewish revolt that went on that Titus and his son Vespasian uh, had to go and put down. So this is what Christ is alluding to. But these are the same people, the Greeks and the Romans, same people, y'all. I hope y'all are seeing this. So I'm going to hold this article. Where was we at? We were right here. Let me mark this, y'all. Let me mark our place so I know where we at when we come back. Because I'm going to close right there. This is a good place to stop. When we come back, we're going to dabble more into, we're going to pretty much stay in 2 Maccabees chapter 6, y'all. And chapter 4, it's a lot of information in those chapters that we're going to bring out. So next week, uh, we will dabble into known as Hercules, man, and how you worship him, man. So I hope everybody got some edification out of the class. I hope it wasn't too choppy. I hope everybody was able to follow along, man. If you got any questions concerning the class or any other question you got biblical question that you got in general man or if you just want to rap to a brother man you can hit me up at area code 314-482-9110 i want to say the water thank y'all for tuning in the water mashaba for hooking up the broadcast for being patient and battling with these blog talk people i know it's exhausting brother the water for it uh like i said the water for everybody that's been supporting blog talk for these 10 plus years man Keep supporting. Keep listening in, man. Uh, we thank y'all very much from the, the bottom of our heart for y'all kindness um, and participating and learning from us. We greatly appreciate it, y'all. And until next week, Lord willing, tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend to please tune in to Tazapod Tuesdays, Tazapod Tuesdays, Tazapod Tuesdays every Tuesday. And with that, y'all, I'm going to say shalom.